Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, November 17th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy to have you with us tonight. In our top story, we'll be joined by Nir Solomon, Executive Director of EFRAT, a pregnancy help network in Israel, about the ongoing war with Hamas and the impact it's having on every segment of society, including moms facing unexpected or difficult pregnancies. We'll also speak to our friend Mark Lee Dixon and his colleague Gina Rodriguez, who are fighting to end abortion trafficking in Texas. In political news in a nutshell, I'll report on a high-profile endorsement for former President Donald Trump's re-election efforts and tell you about another third-party spoiler to toss her hat into the ring. In abortion in the news, I'll break your heart with a story about another baby in Great Britain whose doctors got their wish to let her die and tell you about an unusual counter-protest at the Boston Men's March. Anthony Vassone will join us for our final segment to take viewers on the road with Priests for Life. Please stay with us. We are happy to welcome back to our show our friend Nir Solomon, the executive director of Ephrat Crib in uh, Israel. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Nir, can you tell us what's happening, where you are now? So I can tell you I, right now, I'm actually not in the Efrat office. I'm actually in my house, which is on the Judean Hills. It's in a beautiful, beautiful area. But unfortunately, the tension here is extremely, extremely, extremely high. I know the media back in the U.S. is is reporting all kinds of interesting things. I think more what is interesting in the media than necessarily what's happening here. But what I what I want to share is that there is, unfortunately... The feeling of it, on the one hand, an existential threat to the state of Israel. Why? Because there's a fear that just the Arabs from all around are interested right now in just attacking and killing everybody they see. I know it's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. It's hard to understand. As I shared with a congresswoman um, from one of my donors who asked me to speak with her, and I said, you know, if I would tell you what my grandfather told his family right after Kristallnacht in Europe, when he said, living on the grounds of the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, he said, we have to leave Europe because Europe is burning and the Nazis will kill all of us. They thought he was crazy. They said, we're in Luxembourg. Nobody's going to harm us. We're a neutral country. My grandfather, my father, my uncle, my grandmother were able to escape. And the rest who didn't believe my grandfather were slaughtered by the hands of the Nazis. So that, for some, early on, seemed alarmist from the perspective of my grandfather. And if we would have been sitting here today on October 6th, the day before the massacre happened on October 7th in the southern border of Israel... If we would have started talking about a preemptive war where Israel would have attacked Hamas, the entire world would have been coming 
raining down with anger. How dare you do that? And we would say, but you know, we know that there is imminent danger. They want to slaughter us. The entire world would say, what are you talking about? Nobody behaves this way. What are you talking about? But my grandfather lived through the Holocaust. His family did not. We today are living after October 7th, which actually did happen. So where I live, I'm in a town in Judea and Samaria. I was the mayor of the town today. I'm on the first responders unit, which we had to take a strategic decision of how to deal on a day-to-day basis with the threats that are surrounding us. We don't have the time to expand on this too much, but it's just, it's something unimaginable that we today know, we, we know for fact, there's video footage of soldiers, terrorists in Gaza training to overtake the town that I live in. How scary would that be? Can you imagine? Can you no. imagine in your town, you would have a vision, you would have a video of a training ground of terrorists overtaking your town and the way they overtake it is not, you know, they want to conquer the land. They don't care about the land. They make sure that they kill every single person in your town. And then there are video marches in the neighbor. This is unbelievable. I mean, I know it's so difficult to believe. There are, But we have video footage of it, live, real. There are marches in the towns around where I live asking the people to bear arms and kill every Jew in sight. Can you imagine? It's, it's so, um, I know Leslie and I are both getting pretty emotional <laughs> listening to you and and it's it's so remote from, from us. Um, and, and I apologize because, you know, we were so sympathetic, but um, as you're saying, can you imagine it? And, mm-hmm. and no, we, can't. We, we really can't. So how, how is all of this affecting Ephrat and the moms um, that you try to help? So I'll tell you, first and foremost, it's affecting us on the basic level of life embracing. We are now fighting an enemy that what they are antithetical to is life itself. It's hard to understand and hard to imagine, but that's what they are fighting. So today we are actually dealing with women that have been displaced from their homes, both down south in Israel and up north where we're expecting a war to break out with a Hezbollah in the, on the northern border of Israel. So these women are displaced under tremendous stress, tremendous, tremendous anguish, and we are out there to help them, not only now, where usually where we help most is to prevent terminating pregnancy and bring those children into life, but now we're helping women who just had their babies and are under tremendous, tremendous stress, even beyond the regular women, I would say, that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, which are considering terminating their pregnancy due to financial and emotional stress, which today is heightened ever so more. And we're there for them to be able to hug them, hold their hands, and tell them, listen, while there is a feeling of existential threat, we know that the land of Israel is in God's hands. And God has tremendous, tremendous, tremendous future for the people of Israel in the land of Israel. So while it's difficult to deal with right now, we stand with tremendous hope. My son is a soldier in the Golani Brigade. Recently, a famous rabbi and singer visited my son. And this this picture of my son with a very large rifle, 
blessing the rabbi, not the rabbi blessing my son, but the rabbi said, you're such a holy soldier. I want your blessing. So my son is being blessed by the rabbi, and I have to share with you a story. One of the things that we've been doing in Efrat is trying to help now these women, but also the soldiers on the battlefield. Why? Because in Israel, we have saved over 85,000 babies. 85,000 babies in the past close to five decades, which means there are thousands of Efrat children on the battlefront today. So we are out there hugging them, saying, you know, your lives were at stake. We helped protect your life and bring you into this world. Now you are helping and protect our lives. So one of these stories, and there are many, is a father who called us up and he said, we're looking for soft shell jackets to warm our soldiers. They're freezing cold out in the battlefield at night. We know you're providing it to the soldiers. Can you help provide for my son's unit? We said, you know, what unit is your son? He said he's at a very elite commando unit with dogs. It's special canine unit. I don't know if there is such a unit in the United States Army. I'm not sure. Is there? I don't know. I don't know. I know they're on the police force. I'm not yeah. sure about the army, though. So he's in this canine unit. I said, listen, you know, we've handed out close to 9,000 soft shell jackets. We're down to the last couple hundred. How many do they need? He said they need 280. I had exactly 290, which was amazing. Wow. And I said, I'm not so sure I can give him the entire 290. He says, you don't have a choice. I said, what do you mean I don't have a choice? He says, you know, my son is your son. I said, what, what do you mean he's, he's my son? He says, you know, my boy would have never been alive if it wasn't for 20 years ago that Ephrata saved his life. We had wow. two children. My wife was still breastfeeding. She became pregnant unexpectedly. We had to terminate the pregnancy because we couldn't afford another child. And your volunteer just drove us crazy, that those were his words, and said to us, listen, if you really want to have a child and you cherish life, don't worry about the finances. God provides. But in the meantime, there's this organization that I volunteer for called Efrat. We'll be there for you. And the father says to me, I'm emotional, even though I've told this story already a dozen times since last week. You know, the father says to me, I want you to know I remember that the day my son was born, I did not believe a word you said. And I thought, how am I going to buy him a crib to sleep in? And when he was born, you delivered to our home a crib, a carriage, clothing, bottle, everything. I can't, I remember it like yesterday. You were like saviors from heaven. And then you didn't just disappear. You provided him diapers and clothing and baby formula for years after. He says, now he's your boy. He's protecting you. We need you to help us with soft shell jackets. I said, it's unbelievable. I just packed up my car in the middle of it. I drove to this base, brought them the soft shell jackets. And then he says to me, now that I saw you're a loving father, I want to tell you the end of the story. I said, what's the end of the story? That's not the end? He says, no. <laughs> he says, a year later, my wife's aunt was going to have an abortion. And nobody knew the story with Efrat. We went to my wife's aunt and we told her, listen, you can't have an abortion. Money should not be a reason to terminate the pregnancy. There's this amazing organization. They will help you out. She didn't believe us. But thank God you stepped into the picture. You saved not only one child, but she had twin boys 
And mm -hmm. both of them right now are fighting in Gaza as we speak. So you wow. know what the impact of the work of Efrat is. So we're there to hug our own children, our boys and girls serving in the army in this unbelievably just war. And we pray to God to shine his glory and kindness on all of these boys and girls. And God willing that we should have the right to obliterate the evil. We prefer that the vengeance is done directly by the hand of God. But if we have to take part in it, we stand fast with God's command to make sure that we obliterate evil so that Leslie and Teresa, both of you, can sit comfortably in America because if we don't win this war, they're going to come after you. They're going to come after France. They're going to come after Germany. This is a war for humanity. So just like saving children from abortion is a war for humanity, this war that we're fighting right now in Gaza is a war for humanity as well. Oh, well, Nir, I, I, hate, I hate to have to go, but we do have to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us. And please know that our prayers are with you, with your son, with all the sons and daughters in Israel, all the moms, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Nir. God bless you. Thank you. At a seven-hour public hearing last month in Amarillo, Texas, the city council heard from more than 40 people who were both in favor of and opposed to an ordinance that would make it illegal to have a pregnant woman cross state lines for abortion. Lubbock County passed the same ordinance that week, but Amarillo commissioners have yet to decide when to hold a vote. Our viewers already know our frequent contributor, Mark Lee Dixon, director of Right to Life of East Texas and the architect of the Sanctuary Cities Movement, He's joining us tonight, along with Gina Rodriguez, president of Alliance for a Safe Texas, to talk about their shared passion, passion for ending abortion trafficking throughout the state of Texas. Welcome to the show, Sheena and Mark. Thank you so much for having us. Great to be here. Sheena, your organization primarily focuses on ensuring border security and the care of unaccompanied minors. What made you get involved with trying to pass this ordinance in Amarillo? Yes, so I actually started uh, my advocacy in the pro-life uh, area. I, for several years up here in North Texas, where I reside in the DFW area, um, I was a volunteer counselor at a pro-life pregnancy center. Um, was never really into the whole politics side of things, so that that's really where my heart is. And when I began getting involved in the border-related issues, border interior enforcement and anti-trafficking, um, I'm so passionate about that because I see it as an extension of the pro-life movement. Um, I've done a lot of research and reading and even testified in front of Congress with regards to um, the unaccompanied minors that have uh, crossed uh, into Texas and Arizona. And um, one of the main reasons why I'm so passionate about it is because of the exploitation of human beings and children that that's happening. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, with our federal government, with uh, Health and Human Services, uh, which is HHS, um, actually during Field Guidance 21, stating that they were going to expand abortion services to unaccompanied minors, including taking uh, these children without, of course, parental consent um, or consent of the, of the sponsors that they're being released to across state lines so that they can have access to abortion services. So that's one of the main reasons um, why I've been involved in, in this great initiative. So Mark, I know you've had some success in other areas that had been used as trafficking routes. Can you tell us about those? Absolutely. 
you know, just last week, there was an abortionist who is currently in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, he used to be in San Antonio. Now he's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he is saying that 85% of his clientele are Texas residents. Yet these abortion trafficking ordinances, like the ones that's been passed in Cochrane County and Lubbock County, uh, they're having an impact that he's having no shows at his abortion facility and there's no shows at other abortion facilities throughout New Mexico. And so we're seeing some some real progress that these ordinances are working. And if we can build a wall of ordinances along the Texas-New Mexico border, then we can drive the abortion industry, hopefully, uh, down in New Mexico. Well, Sheena, since Texas has virtually ended abortion, have you seen an increase in traffickers trying to reach New Mexico with their victims? Absolutely. Um, and, and this is any time that we are talking about abortions and the abuse of children, the abuse of women, um, it, it's always it's always gone hand in hand together. Right. Uh, and so in order to be able to continue the exploitation of women and children, such as the unaccompanied minors that has been absorbed into Texas communities, um, they need access to abortions. Um, abortion services to continue to help and aid the continuation of their exploitation. So, of course, and that, that that's where like even areas like Amarillo and uh, counties and cities along the Texas uh, northern border are so crucial to get these uh, ordinances passed is because they're going to move these abused women and children across state lines where abortion services are readily available. Well, Mark, give us the current scorecard for sanctuary cities and tell us where we might find you next. Well, currently we have 67 cities and six counties across seven states, and we are not stopping anytime soon. We are going to be continuing the work in Texas along the Texas-New Mexico border. We're working on Amarillo right now. We're hopeful that Amarillo will pass the ordinance before the year is up. And, you know, I'm looking at Nebraska and I'm looking at Montana and I'm looking at Virginia. Uh, these are all places that we're planning on going into uh, here in the, the new year. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you both for joining us this evening and in, for including human trafficking victims in your pro-life work. It's such a devastating issue that really obviously doesn't get enough attention. So please come back and update us anytime. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Good night. Amarillo also was in the news this week after a Florida woman was indicted for threatening the life of a federal judge whose court is located in the Texas Panhandle City. Alice Marie Pence, 67, of Port Charlotte, allegedly placed a phone call in March to a judge's chambers in Amarillo, threatening to kill the judge who was hearing a challenge to the way the FDA approved the abortion pill Mifepristone in 2000. Court documents do not name the judge, but the only federal judge in Amarillo is Matthew Kaczmarek. The call was made the day before a hearing on the case, which is now awaiting word on whether the U.S. Supreme Court will review it this term. Pence is charged with transmitting interstate threats and intending to influence a federal official by threat. She is scheduled for an initial appearance in court next week and has not yet entered a formal plea. New House Speaker Mike Johnson has become the highest ranking Republican to back former President Donald Trump in his bid to seek re-election. I'm all in for President Trump, the Louisiana congressman said during an interview with CNBC on Tuesday. 
Although the mainstream media likes to recirculate a Facebook post Johnson wrote in 2015 criticizing Trump's character, he told CNBC that the former president's accomplishments during his years in the Oval Office are more important. I think when we're voting for president, it can't be about personalities, Johnson said. If you skipped the third Republican primary debate last week, you missed entrepreneur and presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy call out the establishment media in a way no one expected. In his opening remarks, Ramaswamy said the debate should have been hosted by Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk, not NBC News anchors Lester Holt and Kirsten Welker and talk show host Hugh Hewitt. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about, Ramaswamy said. Ramaswamy wasn't wrong. Trust in the establishment media is exceedingly low. Plenty believe that it is merely an arm of the democratic regime and that it is no longer doing the job it is supposed to do. Ratings have plummeted as a result. Taking its place are alternate options. Recognizing this, the Republican National Committee just announced the hosts of the fourth GOP primary debate. They will be former Fox anchor Megyn Kelly, News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, and the Washington Free Beacon's Eliana Johnson. The RNC also designated Rumble as its exclusive live stream provider and the RNC's exclusive online home for the fourth debate. The debate will take place on December 6th in Tuckaloosa, Alabama. Senator Tim Scott announced on Sunday that he is suspending his presidential campaign. The South Carolina Republican Senator made the announcement in a televised interview on Fox News with his longtime friend, Trey Gowdy. The news came as a shock to his own staff. Multiple campaign staff members confirmed to Politico that they had no prior knowledge of Scott's decision before he withdrew from the race on live television. When I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate, Scott said to a seemingly surprised Gowdy, who raised his eyebrows. The voters who are the most remarkable people on the planet, they're telling me not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. House Republicans are eyeing a prime pickup opportunity in Virginia, where Representative Abigail Spanberger, Democrat, announced her retirement early on Monday. Spanberger, a former CIA officer, is leaving the House to run for governor. The National Republican Congressional Committee, the House GOP's campaign arm, said minutes after Spanberger's announcement that nothing is going right for Democrats in Virginia's 7th District, but the NRCC is all hands on deck to flimp this now open seat and grow the House Republican majority. Spanberger joining the other swing district Democrats racing for the exits makes House Democrats climb out of the minority that much steeper. Her seventh congressional district encompasses part of Northern and Central Virginia. Democrats' chances of holding on to it sunk in response to Spanberger. The nonpartisan Cook political report downgraded the district from a likely Democrat hold to just leaning blue. And finally, Jill Stein, who ran unsuccessfully for president on the Green Party ticket in 2012 and 2016, will run again in 2024. She announced that last week, adding yet another name to the field, even as the two major parties appear almost certain to nominee the two remaining candidates who ran in 2020. 
That institutional backing would spare her some of the challenges in gaining ballot access that will be faced by two prominent independent candidates in the race, the progressive activist and Professor Cornell West and the anti-vaccine activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who left the Democratic primary last month. The group of third-party candidates could significantly complicate what looks likely to be a rematch between President Biden and former President Donald Trump. Some of Mr. Biden's allies worried that third-party candidates could siphon support from him in swing states and make a Trump victory more likely, have been working aggressively to undermine those campaigns. And that's political news in a nutshell. An eight-month-old baby girl in Great Britain was taken off life support Sunday and died Monday after doctors and courts decided, over the objections of her parents and the Prime Minister of Italy, that her life had no value. Indy Gregory suffered from a rare condition known as mitochondrial disease that doctors said left her unaware of her surroundings. But her parents challenged that assertion and hoped experimental treatments might prolong her life. The Italian government had sought permission for her to be treated at a hospital in Rome and granted her Italian citizenship, but Great Britain wouldn't let her go. The case is the latest in a series of high-profile legal battles in the UK between parents and doctors over the treatment of terminally ill children. British judges have repeatedly sided with doctors, as in the cases of Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans, two babies who were also given the death sentence over the objection of their parents and the international community. The Oklahoma Supreme Court this week reiterated its position that the state constitution guarantees women in the state access to abortion to save their lives. But the 5-4 ruling does not change the fact that abortion is prohibited in the vast majority of cases. In May 2022, Governor Kevin Stitt signed a law protecting nearly all babies from abortion. A month later, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Abortions in the state dropped from 4,145 in 2021 to 898 in 2022, according to the Associated Press. 66 of the 898 abortions last year were to save the life of the mother. Pro-abortion and pro-life lawmakers in Ohio have been busy since voters in the state last week decided their state constitution includes a right to abortion. Democrats anxious to get rid of laws that protect the unborn have introduced the Reproductive Care Act, which would eliminate laws that protect babies at 20 weeks and 6 weeks, do away with mandatory 24-hour waiting periods before abortion, no longer require abortionists to have admitting privileges at local hospitals, and allow babies with Down syndrome to once again have their lives terminated in the womb. To pass the measure, the Democrats would need the support of some Republicans, which seems unlikely because four GOP legislators have announced they will seek to strip judges of their power to interpret the abortion amendment passed November 7th, leaving it up to the state legislature to decide what laws can continue to be enforced. Much more to come from Ohio. A federal judge on Monday temporarily blocked an Idaho law that makes it illegal for an adult to help a minor girl across state lines for an abortion. The law will be blocked until there is a decision to the challenge brought by abortion enthusiasts, so abortion trafficking can legally resume in the state. 27 Republican U.S. Senators are demanding that the Defense Department rescind its rule allowing pregnant service members to be reimbursed for travel costs and provided with paid time off to travel to states that allow abortion. A letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said Congress never authorized the expenditure of federal funds to pay for abortion. Written by North Carolina Senator Ted Budd, the letter said, Now taxpayers, many of whom have deeply held religious and moral objections to abortions, are on the hook to facilitate the very abortions they fundamentally oppose. The letter also calls on Austin to, quote, do the right thing, rescind the policy now. 
Meanwhile, Democrat senators are looking for a way to end the blockade on military pr promotions started by Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville to protest defense's illegal use of federal funds for abortion. And finally, in the you can't make this stuff up category, the Boston Men's March Against Abortion earlier this month encountered an unusual group of counter protesters, clowns. About 40 people donned red noses and curly wigs to march in favor of legalized child killing in, in a state that has few abortion restrictions. Accompanied by the Boston area brigade of activist musicians, the clowns marched along to tunes like Pop Goes the Weasel and Entrance of the Gladiators. And that's Abortion in the News. I'm Anthony Vassone, Resource Associate, and we at Priests for Life would like to take you on the road with us. Since we gave you our last update in September, the fall has continued to be a busy and exciting time for Priests for Life on the road. Priests for Life took part in the September 5th United Nations Annual Prayer Service on the occasion of the opening of the 78th session of the General Assembly. The service, which was well attended, was offered by the Permanent Observer Mission of the Holy See to the United Nations and took place at the Church of the Holy Family, the United Nations Parish. We then participated in the annual high-level general debate from September 19th through the 25th with this year's theme on the 2030 Agenda and its sustainable development goals toward peace, prosperity, progress, and sustainability for all. Priests for Life teamed up with the Leadership Institute to conduct special trainings in Ohio to equip pro-lifers in that state to stop the pro-abortion ballot initiative in 2023. They conducted four trainings from September 10th through Wednesday, September 13th. On September 14th, Kevin Burke, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard and pastoral associate with Priests for Life, was one of the presenters for the Hope Restored Conference on Healing the Wounds of Abortion, sponsored by the Catholic Pro-Life Community of Dallas. Kevin's presentation to clergy, counselors, and the general public focused on the impact of abortion on men. In his multimedia presentation, Kevin shared how awareness and healing for men, once you understand the symptoms men experience after abortion, is an important part of the healing of our families, communities, and nation. Kevin helped the participants understand how abortion impacts men with previous abuse and wounds in their relationship with fathers and the impact on our poorest minority communities devastated by high abortion rates. On September 15th, Father Dennis Wild, pastoral associate and associate chaplain for Priests for Life, participated in the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit hosted by the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. Teresa Watson, along with her husband, John, attended the 2023 JMJ Pregnancy Center Gala on September 16th in Orlando, Florida. Father Dennis Wilde led a pilgrimage to Germany and Italy from September 23rd to October 8th. And on September 24th, Brian Kemper, Priest for Life, Director of Youth Outreach and Coordinator of Street Activism, participated in the Vote No on Issue 1 rally in Ohio, to educate voters about the pro-abortion initiative in Ohio that will be on the ballot in November, 2023. Father David Begany, Priest for Life Pastoral Associate, participated in the Houston Coalition for Life Walk on September 30th, 2023. Brian Kemper had a very busy October attending the Ohio March for Life, as well as speaking at a pro-life celebration and participating in Life Chain in New Mexico. He also participated in a protest in Dayton, Ohio. Brian challenged the pro-abortion pastor of the church who wanted to find common ground on the issue of abortion. Brian let him know in no uncertain terms there is no common ground on abortion. 
Pro-life leader and national director of Priests for Life, Frank Pavone, along with Father Dennis, participated in, in October of 2023 at the Pennsylvania March for Life. NIFLA, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, held their 2023 National Leadership Summit from October 24th through the 26th in Chesapeake, Virginia. I had the honor of attending the summit along with our National Director, Frank Pavone. Priest for Life was a sponsor of the event and we had an exhibit table with our literature and merchandise. The event culminated with the Celebration of Life Banquet at which Frank Pavone and I had the pleasure of meeting and sitting with the event's guest speaker, Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Earl Sears. Heading into November, Priest for Life Executive Director Janet Morana was the keynote speaker at Pro-Life Fundraising Dinner at the Women's Health Center in Spanish Fort, Alabama on November 10th. And rounding up this edition of Priest for Life on the Road, on November 12th, Father Dennis was at St. Joseph's Church in Scottsdale, Pennsylvania. Father Dennis is pictured here with Father Elmer, the pastor, and Dr. William and Mrs. Mary Rickman, along supporting Friends of Priest for Life as well as part of the assembly after mass. Well, that brings us up to date on all of the travels of our Priest for Life team members for now. If you know of a pro-life event happening near you that you think we should know about, or if you have attended a pro-life event and you would like to share your photos with us, please email us at mail at priestsforlife.org. Your photos may be featured on an upcoming episode of Pro-Life Primetime News. And that's all for this edition of Priest for Life on the Road. Be sure to tune in next Friday for our special Thanksgiving show when we will share the Black Friday deals available at ProLifeProducts.org. Teresa and I wish you all a blessed and joyful Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for joining us on ProLife Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Kama, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.